Well, if every crisis is an opportunity, then this one uh, has to be as well. So all in all, uh, people have shown a remarkable um, amount of capacity to adapt to new lifestyles, to new economic reality. The pandemic has had a devastating effect on the world economy. But can it be a turning point? Can we rebuild our economies so they're greener and future-focused? What will it take to build back better? We really need leaders to stand up and say, OK, by 2050, our economies have to be net zero. We, we have to be in balance with the planet. It certainly won't be easy, and not all of the early signs are good ones. We are primarily supporting the economy, uh, and we are uh, uh, trying, basically, we support the old structure of the economy. And the old structure of the economy actually was not in line with the Paris Agreement. You're listening to the Pandemic Unmasked podcast, and I'm your host, Andy Clark. The podcast is produced by the British Embassy in The Hague, together with Studio Line 14. In each episode, we take a look at the pandemic from a different perspective and see what lessons we can learn from it for the future. Each time we speak with an expert from the UK and from the Netherlands. This time, can we build back better? Economies around the world have taken a massive hit, and as ever, some more than others. The world was struggling with the colossal challenges of climate change and inequality long before the pandemic arrived. And on the surface of it, the devastation the virus has caused will surely only make things even more difficult. But is this the case? In the podcast, we examine if the pandemic can work as a turning point, throwing up an opportunity to do things differently. I'm joined by Rachel Kite, Dean of the Fletcher School at Tufts University in Massachusetts. A Brit, Rachel is also an advisor to the UK government and part of the group of friends of COP26. COP26 is the name of the UN climate conference to be held in Glasgow jointly with Italy in November. Rachel Kite previously served as CEO of Sustainable Energy for All, an international organisation that works with the UN and others to drive action towards achieving access to affordable, reliable, sustainable and modern energy for all by 2030. Our second speaker is Sander de Brown. He is the Environmental Economics Coordinator from CE Delft, an independent advisory organisation in the Netherlands which has the goal of helping to build a more sustainable world. He's an expert, amongst other things, on climate policy and the EU emissions trading system. A phrase that's often used when talking about restructuring our economies in the wake of the pandemic is build back better. It is, though, something that Sander de Brown takes issue with. Um, well, you know, built back better is actually a term that was coined by the United Nations in terms of catastrophe investment. So it was after a hurricane, for example, then all the buildings are destroyed and you can build back better. You know, you can make better buildings. But at the moment, of course, all the infrastructure is still there. So the COVID pandemic didn't destroy the infrastructure. And it will be much more difficult to build back better from that. So how can we start making steps in a different direction? Well, an honest appraisal of where we are now is where it starts, according to Rachel Kite. We know that we weren't on track to reach a net zero uh, economy by 2050, to 
uh, which is necessary uh, in order to reach the Paris Agreement target of being well below two degrees of warming, sort of one and a half degrees is, is what we're aiming for. So we weren't on track for that. So that meant that we knew that we weren't investing enough in green technology and energy. The energy transition wasn't moving fast enough. We were behind in a, tra- a transition of how we transport goods and people. So the whole transportation sector, uh, shipping, aviation, we weren't on track for the green production of steel and cement. And uh, we weren't there. And we hadn't really even started to look at how to transform agriculture and how we manage land and the war that we've been waging on nature. So we weren't on track. She says one of the things the pandemic has given us is the mindset that we have to put the well-being of people first. And this is something that now needs to be extended to the task of rebuilding the economy. It revealed to us the other big part of the story, which was we weren't on track for the planet. We weren't on track for ourselves either. The deep, uh, deep inequality within and between uh, societies uh, was revealed and we understand a little bit more about the fact that in order to protect ourselves, we have to protect other people at the individual level, the family level, community level, and at the country and global level. So if we're going to come back from this, we do have to build back uh, economies which can be efficient and take care of people, more people than we were taking care of before, without carbon emissions as being part of the lifeblood of those economies. So we've got to decarbonize We've got to uh, be inclusive. We've got to build healthcare systems that are resilient for the future, etc. And so uh, it would be uh, an abject failure if we were to come back and put public money into uh, parts of the energy system which will be obsolete within 10 to 15 years, if we were to uh, finance uh, ways of um, farming and of and infrastructure that is also going to be obsolete. This danger is something Sander de Brown is also warning about. At the moment, we have a, a global debt which is around 14 trillion US dollars. So that's about 16% of world income actually went uh, to uh, support the current structure of the economy. And that's really a, a missed opportunity because we have to reverse this afterwards and that will again demand a lot of uh, public spending. For him too, the mindset that the public good has to be a central feature of the economy is a vital one. Also on on climate change, uh, we also have to protect the public good. And uh, I think that the pandemic has shown that people are willing to do this. They are willing to sacrifice something of their personal freedom, something in their personal consumption for this public good. All right, so there are some positive things. And whilst he's not sure politicians are currently making the right decisions, he is very clear about the decisions they need to make. Well, I think they would uh, have seriously to, to make work seriously on uh, carbon pricing and also on other uh, externalities pricing, basically, so also air pollution. For Rachel Kite, an effective carbon pricing mechanism is also a crucial element in instigating change. So I think an effective price on carbon, you used exactly the right word, effective, which means that we're looking at, you know, something in the region of, you know, 100 to 200 euros, not 25 to 30. Um, An effective carbon price is what I would describe as the essential but insufficient uh, policy step that has to be taken. It's very difficult to get the speed and scale that we need in the energy transition and in the transition of industries and transportation if we don't put a price on that which we want less of in the economy. Rachel Kite is clear about the direction we need to go in, 
This is her message for the policymakers. You have to be coherent. So you can't sort of have a big climate strategy over here and then have a big fossil fuel subsidy policy over here. And um, the beauty in the UK is that we have uh, legislation and uh, therefore everybody is bound to that. And we have a climate change committee that uh, informs us whether we're on track or not. So you have a very strong substructure built, right? We are not yet fully coherent and it requires extraordinary sort of delivery unit discipline to make sure that every department of government is on track for 1.5 degrees and uh, that that is thought through. So in Britain and the same for the Netherlands as well, one of the big issues is going to be heating, right? I mean, we can produce electricity for lighting and everything, that's fine, but heating is where our big emissions come from and obviously transportation. And so if we are, if we are seriously going to help the, the population of the United Kingdom move to heat pumps or move away from gas and move away from, then, then what is the plan for the support to families to make their houses efficient? And what's the plan to make that move to a heat pump an attractive thing that they should do? It's a social norm as much as a financial thing. And so that, that should be the kind of blockbuster campaign like Keep Britain Tidy, right? I mean, we've got to, we can, we can do this, but everybody's going to have to sort of like buy into why they should do it and so these are these are these are these are total government approaches and in the, the Netherlands the, the same thing the Netherlands has got an ambitious national plan it of course has had an extraordinary and sort of path-breaking um, legislative and uh, no, legal uh, dilemma as Urgenda and the campaign to hold the government to account for a climate plan that wasn't uh, ambitious enough has set off a series of copycat legal moves uh, in countries around the world. And just in the last few weeks, the the French government has been held to account in the same kind of legal strategy that Urgenda used in the Netherlands. So you know these are com- these are countries that are on the leading edge of thinking through what the transition looks like. But you can be on the leading edge and still be incoherent. And I think that you know there's still some room to improve. Yeah, so uh, we do everything on bicycles. Um, We do everything uh, CO2 neutral. So uh, we only focus on bicycles and we don't allow any vehicles with uh, gasoline like that. This is Axel Decker, the CEO of Packly, an online delivery platform for retailers here in the Netherlands. The changes to the economy during the pandemic have been good for Packly. A very positive effect for us uh, uh, turnover-wise. Um, we've seen a massive spike in parcel delivery and of course because we are locally in cities we could really still help with fast distribution of parcels where consumers just can't go to the store or, or can't uh, get the products they want uh, and we also seen a very big request uh, from very big retailers that needed to do something with the massive amounts of locations and, and square meters that they have uh, and the stock that is you know, basically stuck there. It's an example of adaptation during the lockdown that can prove beneficial for the post-pandemic world. Tackling climate change is at the heart of the Packley philosophy. A lot of companies focus on changing something in five years from now or saying like in 2025 we want to be completely CO2 neutral or something like that. Uh, And we believe that we can do it now. Uh, And we actually believe that we could do it uh, uh, faster than ever. 
Um, so we really believe in in uh, changing this this perspective on looking at the environment uh, um, faster, um, and really looking at what are the the small elements that could help us right now to change uh, uh, the way we look also with climate change. It's an entrepreneurial spirit linking a desire to tackle climate change to a fast changing pandemic affected economy. A small example may be, but there are many more, and hopes are that there can be lasting positive changes arising from the way we've had to adapt our lives under the pandemic. Later this year, in November, the latest UN climate conference, COP26, will be held in Glasgow, in the UK, in partnership with Italy. It's a set-piece moment when the world will again be faced with checking itself in the mirror to see if it's making good on promises made to stop global warming. You know, Paris was more on, on agreeing on a target, you know, on a target of one and a half degrees, you know, to, below the two degrees and preferably one and a half degrees. And so now we have all kinds of scenarios that show actually what do we need to do if we want to attain those targets. And so uh, this COP conference would be very much going on, okay, so given these scenarios, so what can we as a world and what can the governments actually do to make them uh, a reality? So we have much more uh, feet on the ground actually for, for having a good discussion. But of course, you know, this, this will be tremendously ambitious. Uh, so I think that there will be yeah, yeah, very substantial debates, uh, and it is very, very unlikely that there, that everybody will align to a certain uh, direction uh, that we need to go. Rachel Kite says the UK has a crucial role to play in 2020, not just with the COP conference, but it also holds the presidency of the G7 group of leading economies. It's UK leadership for the whole year. UK has, holds the G7 presidency and the presidency of the COP26. These are intertwined, right? It's, re, it's global recovery from the recession, which is something that the G7 will have to look at. And in doing so, putting ourselves on track for the kinds of uh, future we need in order to meet Paris Agreement targets. So the, the UK has this extraordinary opportunity, together with the Italians, who are the co uh, conveners of the COP and then chairs of the G20, there's an extraordinary moment to be able to use every lever of diplomatic prowess uh, to achieve these two things. And so we, we're looking for UK leadership uh, around debt, uh, around some of the more uh, in, 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 well, but difficult, I think, you know, economic and financial issues around climate, including uh, carbon border adjustment uh, issues in, in the trade regime. We're looking for those really for the British to put those on the table in Cornwall in June. And then what we're looking for by the time we get to um, uh, Glasgow is an extraordinary sort of uptick in the ambition that will come from national plans. And of course, all eyes are on the US who have said that they will publish their plan on April 22nd. But there will also be have to be a very important climate finance package in order for Glasgow to be a success. An inclusive approach then, taking into concern the broader impact of the pandemic, is vital. During the podcast, I ask Sander and Rachel if they have a personal story about the pandemic. Their answers are very different and really mirror the very different levels at which the pandemic has affected us all. 
For some of us, the lucky ones, and I include myself in this category, the impact has been small. It's changed the way we work and socialised, but we've been spared the worst. When asked for a personal story which encapsulates the pandemic for him, Sander gives the example of a business day trip to Berlin, flying back and forth in a day. It's something he can't imagine ever doing again now. Yeah, that's uh, interesting that you ask this. Uh, I personally also witnessed some changes. Before the pandemic, for example, I remember that in the end of uh, November, I flew to Berlin and uh, we had a, there a meeting of two hours. So in all in all, I had to uh, travel four hours to, to get there in Berlin uh, by plane. And then after this two hours meeting, we had to travel four For Rachel Kite, her personal example is at the other end of the scale. Well, my father passed away from COVID um, and um, I'm still processing that uh, because he did everything right and contracted COVID in hospital where he was admitted for something completely unrelated. His is not a unique story. Tens of thousands of people in the UK uh, died the same way, um, wasn't able to see him and um, extraordinarily uh, grateful to the quality of care from those in the NHS. But what it has brought home to me is that, is that and I said it earlier, but maybe not in the same way, is that sometimes to take care of yourself, you have to take care of others. And, you know, you, 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 you no person, no man is an island, no person is an island, no community is an island, you know. Um, I don't know how he contracted it. Um, but I sure as hell know that um, our desire to get out and about and have a Christmas with friends or whatever it was um, and some of the lack of clarity around the messaging around that, you know, led to an extraordinary um, uh, spike in, in, in uh, cases uh, over the last few months. And so... I think it's a humbling moment for us as a species. If we don't take care of each other, we can't take care of ourselves. Um, and uh, how we get the political leadership that science deserves, I think that's a really big challenge for us as a community of nations uh, in the next few years. From the most painful of personal experiences, Rachel Kite has then redoubled her resolve to get decision-makers to try to do the right thing. As well as demanding coherence from policymakers in terms of action, she's also clear that fake news is something that needs to be tackled as well. And she points to the worst kinds of disinformation as sometimes coming from those at the very top. Well, I, I I work in the United States. I'm running a graduate school of international affairs in the United States, and I, I it's extraordinary to to watch the um, television coverage of the sort of uh, ridiculous um, pronouncements uh, out of the White House in, in the spring of 2020. And I was watching it on the sofa with my then 12-year-old daughter and I think my son who's 15 now was with me. And and I I had like I was having like multiple reactions at the same time. I was like one, I can't believe I just heard that. Secondly, that is preposterous. Three, 
I don't want my children to think that that's you know, even a legitimate thing to say. Fourth, how do you explain to children that people who are prepared to say that kind of thing can be in the highest office? You know, I was having these sort of this meltdown of parental uh, concern, of outrage, of like stupefaction, right? And um, and we had countless moments like that, but that was the worst. And there's some very interesting uh, sort of thinking at the moment around about what kind of political, what the impact of this kind of political leadership was. So Jair Bolsonaro, uh, Trump, uh, others, where they've denied the virus. These are the same leaders who deny climate science. And, you know, you can have um, medical determinants of, 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 of disease or death, right? You can have social determinants of disease and death, poverty, for example. You know, we now have political determinants of disease and death because... How many people, you know, uh, I think in the, in the US we're over 500,000 deaths as a result uh, of the mismanagement of the virus. Um, and we had political leaders who stood up and said, well, just use chlorine. For Rachel, it's clear that politicians really need to take their responsibility when it comes to spreading reliable, trustworthy, scientifically proven information about the pandemic. A final thought from Sander de Brown. Well, I think that uh, actually you would have to have two lines. So the first line is that you would make room for investments in uh, uh, clean uh, energy and clean uh, uh, technologies. We have to increase investments uh, in this area with about a factor five this. And the other thing is that you can do this if you uh, don't make the current assets in the fossil fuel industry less sweet. Because the whole problem is that at moments it is still profitable to invest in the fossil fuel industry. You still get higher returns. And somehow we must make those assets less profitable. And uh, yeah, there really we, we have a, a huge substantial challenge. Yeah, so, so governments could step up in that. Uh, and that would be a, a link with uh, subsidies, regulations, but also very important uh, that uh, they have to install carbon taxes uh, to guide this transition, actually. And for Rachel Kite, a final thought. Is she optimistic or pessimistic? Um, I am a hopeful pessimist. I mean, the, the science and the data are unrelentingly scary. Uh, whether it's Arctic ice melt or whether it's sea level rise or whether it's just the denude, denuding of the planet and the, the crisis of nature. I mean, every one of these reports is is really the kind of thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night. Um, but I, I really do believe that we uh, we have what it takes to do this. And And as I said before, I think science has been let down by politics. Um, the leaders we have, the leaders we put there, and uh, we have a responsibility to put different ones there if they don't do what we want. You've been listening to the Pandemic Unmasked podcast, produced by the British Embassy in The Hague and Studio Line 14. My guests today were Rachel Kite, Dean of the Fletcher School at Tufts University in Massachusetts. Rachel is also an advisor to the UK government and part of the group of Friends of COP26. COP26 is the name of the UN Climate Conference to be held in Glasgow jointly with Italy in November. 
Rachel Kite previously served as CEO of Sustainable Energy for All, an international organization which works with the UN and others to drive action towards achieving access to affordable, reliable, sustainable and modern energy for all by 2030. She was also previously the World Bank Group Vice President and Special Envoy for Climate Change, leading up to the Paris Agreement. Our second speaker was Sander de Brown. He is the Environmental Economics Coordinator from CE Delft, an independent advisory organisation in the Netherlands, which has the goal of helping to build a more sustainable world. He's an expert, amongst other things, on climate policy and the EU emissions trading system. In the podcast, we also heard from Axel Decker, CEO of a bike-powered online delivery company based in the Netherlands. All opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the guests themselves and do not necessarily reflect the position of the UK government. We'd love to generate discussion on the ideas you've heard in the podcast, so please share it in your network. And if you want to react to anything you've heard, then you can get in touch. You can find us on social media under UK in NL. UK in NL. From me, Andy Clark, thanks for listening.